Welcome to Still Becoming, a podcast about how it's never too late to become more free, more yourself, or try something new. I'm Monica DiCristina, a wife, mother, and practicing psychotherapist. Through my own struggles with my anxiety years ago that led to my professional work as a therapist now, I am fascinated by the process of how we become who we are. We will explore the topics of becoming, of unbecoming, and overcoming through interviews, unpacking mental health topics, and stories. You are not designed to stay the same. Your story is still being written. We are all still becoming. so excited to have therapist Sissy Goff back on the Still Becoming podcast. If you've been a listener of this podcast for any length of time, you know that I am very open about my own history of anxiety, and that's part of why I went into becoming a therapist. Sissy is one of my favorite people to listen to and learn from in the field, and we talk all about anxiety and how it might have been impacted during the pandemic for kids, and in particular, teen girls. We talk about her brand new book, Brave, which is a guide for teens for overcoming anxiety. And one of my favorite parts is we talk about some of the really special attributes of those of us who tend to struggle with anxiety. If you are an adult with a history of anxiety, if you have kids in your life in any form that you are helping and that you want to learn more about anxiety with, I hope you'll tune in and you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Sissy Goff. You know, Sissy, I'm so excited to have you back on the Still Becoming podcast. And whenever I read your books, and I just finished reading Brave last night, your new book, I think about myself as that teen and that adolescent who needed your words. And to be honest, I got a little choked up um, thinking about it last night because I thought, gosh, if I had had this to read, or if my parents had had help because they wanted to help me, but they had no idea um, how to help me. And so I just, I'm so grateful for your voice and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. That means so much to me. And I agree. You know, I mean, I think we choose what we choose in terms of career and how we invest our time because of something inside of us. And I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think I picked this career, but but even the the things that I'm studying and wanting to help kids with, I'm the same way. Like, I, and and we're all growing up. You're so much younger than I am, but you know, when I was a kid, no one was in counseling. No one was talking about these things. Certainly, our parents were. And so, I feel like we're just playing catch up on understanding not only what's going on, but really how we can help these kids. So, I'm just grateful to get to be another voice trying to do it. And you're so um, sort of loving and, you know, you just kind of invite people in in a way that makes it all seem like, okay, you know, because I think when I was growing up too, I didn't know anyone in counseling, my parents even, you know, and my anxiety got so bad at one point that they said, well, 
as kind of like a threat and they didn't mean it in an unloving way. They were just kind of like, well, gosh, if we can't figure this out, then we might have to do that thing, that therapy thing, you know, you know, which is what I do for a living now. But, you know, it just, it just had such a stigma still, you know, when I was growing up. And so I love how just approachable you kind of make the topic. And I was thinking through this episode today and I was thinking so many anxious parents, anxious teens, anxious kids, you know, and a half hour with Sissy Goff would really be a blessing. And so I wondered if we could just talk about some of the understandings of anxiety and the help um, that is in your new book, Brave. Yes, absolutely. I'm delighted to. And I'm so glad to hear what you think because it that on this day that we're talking is the day that it comes out. So I've only talked to probably two people who've read it. So oh, it's wow. Fun to hear awesome. your thoughts. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I loved it. I mean, the, you know, the teen that was that's in me was just like, wow, this is it's so helpful. And you know what I love that you do and I want us to do a little bit today is you demystify some of what's happening in our brain. And that takes it out of that um, shame, what's wrong with me question to, oh, I understand what's happening. And not only do I understand, I can actually be empowered to, you know, make a difference in my own life. You don't have to be a therapist to understand what's happening in your own brain. Right, exactly. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be talking to you because I do joke in all those books about my my intent was to work people like you and me out of a job right. because there are uh-huh. such practical things that you can do at home that really will make a difference. You know, you and I are sending kids home and folks home every day to do homework and you can do that same homework without having to come to our offices. Exactly. exactly. Now there may be a point that you need to go see a therapist for sure, but totally to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To start and implement between sessions, you know, I mean, yes. there's, there's just, it's, there's a whole continuum of mental health help um, that I think books like this are, you know, so powerful and helpful. in. well, I sure hope so. And I'm grateful for you doing what you're doing because you're doing that with folks all over the country, all over the world by them listening to your podcast. One of the first things I wanted to talk about is, you know, why it's so important to separate yourself from worry and anxiety. You know, you you start the book off by that. And I think that that can be one of the the first things that, and maybe that's why it's first in your book, that can help someone, whether they're walking into a therapy office or telling a friend for the first time. It's so important that people separate themselves from the anxiety. So can you tell us a little bit about why that's so powerful? I always feel like I'm on the edge of sounding a little scary saying this, but we all have a voice <laughs> in our heads. Yes, um, yes, we do. And it's a critical voice of ourselves. It's a critical voice of others. It's a voice that's a kind of doomsday voice, like you can't do this. I mean, you know, it's saying something. And until we learn to differentiate that voice, we believe that it's truth. And, and the two things that I feel like particularly adolescent girls here the most is or something is wrong with you and you're the only one who feels this way. And so when we can separate it out and talk about it, it takes away some of the power that it has just in naming. It's like 12 step programs, you know, that you start by naming something because it does reduce its power. It really does. And, you know, I have to say that those two um, things that you see in adolescence, I see in adults, you know, that that something's wrong with me and you're the only one who feels that way. And you can almost see people exhale when you address those two things. So I love that, you know, you started with those. And, you know, I think the question that always comes up is, well, is it anxiety? Do I have anxiety? And and we all really do. But I love the way you describe the fear worry and anxiety continuum. 
And so can you break it down for people kind of just a little bit, the difference between fear, worry, and anxiety? Yes. And I I mean, I want you to jump in because I love your thoughts on all of this too. But I mean, I think of fear as taking place really when we're around or often about to be around whatever elicits the fear in us. So spiders, snakes, a thunderstorm, you know, anything that we're afraid of. But once that's gone or the threat of it's gone, we're usually fine. I hate spiders, but I don't sit in my room and think about spiders, you know, Mm -hmm. unless something brings it up for me. Whereas worry is a little bit more pervasive. I think we can worry even if we're not in the presence of whatever it is, just if it comes to mind, which is part of, you know, what we could talk about in terms of brain chemistry and how all that's working. But but so worry kind of comes and goes a little more regularly, but anxiety is where we get stuck is how I think of it. And I, I talk about with kids of all ages, like it's like the one loop roller coaster at the fair. And so, you know, I might worry about something bad happening to my two-year-old nephew. I mean, and I could worry when he falls or I could just, that could pop into my head in the middle of the day because intrusive thoughts is something we all have too. And so we have these thoughts that pop in, but if I have anxiety or I just lean that way, it doesn't mean you have to have clinical anxiety. If I just lean that way, then the thought's going to pop into my head of something bad happening to Henry and I'm going to get stuck. And I'm going to think about it over and over and over and over and I can't get it out of my brain which is where the really practical tools come in. Yeah, it's it's such a helpful um, distinction between, you know, because we're all going to, you know, especially those that, like myself, are maybe wired more that way. We're going to have fears and worries, intrusive thoughts pop up. And, and most, like you said, most everybody is during a day. Especially today, Yeah, <laughs> these days. Right, you know, and before we go further, that is one thing I wanted to ask you about is what is your, you know, and this maybe is, is a kind of a broad question, so I know that this will be a general realization and not specific, but what's been your experience of being a child and adolescent and teen therapist through this pandemic that we're now a year into? What have you seen um, and how has it impacted kids? Yeah, it's so interesting because it feels like it's different for different age groups. But when we went into the pandemic and the last time you and I talked, I'd had these two books come out one for elementary age girls called Braver, Stronger, Smarter, and one for parents of girls of all ages, because I was more worried about elementary age girls at the time. The statistics were one in four kids with girls twice as likely were dealing with anxiety. And so I was every day sitting with girls who were six, seven, eight, nine, ten, who were plagued with the kind of intrusive recurring thoughts that we're talking about. And And those kids, before we went into stay at home, you know, before we really understood, we're still Mm -hmm. understanding. Yeah. But, you know, in the beginning, I think they were pretty anxious about it. What's going to happen to somebody I love? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to school? All of that. And then we went into, you know, in different states, it was different. But at least here, we went into lockdown. And those kids, those anxious little girls, I went from seeing them across my office on my couch, sitting by my little dog, Lucy, to all of a sudden I'm seeing them on my Zoom screen because I was Zooming and they were hopping on with the stuffed animal tucked up under one arm and, you know, wrangling their cat and the Uh other to show me their cat. And there was a levity in them that I hadn't seen in months. And I think so much of the anxiety going into it for those kids honestly was partly on us, partly on what they were doing to themselves, but the pressure of all the activities and all the schedules and all the busyness and all the schools. And it was just too much. 
And so when we removed that, not only in, we were doing such a great job in the beginning of having this really intentional, beautiful time as families where we were playing games and we were cooking together. So, you know, the girls would say, I just baked cookies with my mom and I went on a walk with my dad. And I mean, they just were filled up in a different way. Now, obviously, we're over a lot of that. Right. <laughs> but but I think the younger ones, I, I mean, they're lonely and they're anxious still, obviously. And the kids who have more significant anxiety, that's not going to shift that quickly. But what I have become more worried about are the teenagers, which is why in April I sat down to write this book. Because, you know, for, for adolescents, as you and I both know, we are still important, but their peers take on a whole new level of importance. And so now when they're disconnected and isolated, I mean, forever, I've been more worried about adolescence and even the idea of suicide when they're isolated. And so now we've got these teenagers who are anxious going into the pandemic. They're isolated. A lot of them maybe have, because if you're listening and you're a mom, and especially if you have a teenage girl, you're going to have kind of a difficult relationship through adolescence that's really normal developmentally. So they're in the midst of what are sometimes hard relationships and they're not getting breaks. I mean, we still have kids in Nashville that are back in, not back in school. And so for them, I was seeing them become much more anxious. And I would say now, as we're having this conversation, I'm worried that the anxiety is bleeding over into a whole lot more depression. And so it just feels like to me, we got to do something for these kids because it is now one in three for those girls. And so we can really change it. Well, I love that you're having me on. So we're getting to talk about it. I know. I'm so grateful that you're you're here talking about it. And I think it's just, it, it's something that I think all parents and mental health professionals agree that they want to help with. And it's just, sometimes it seems like there can be barriers to getting that information to teens. And so I love that this puts it in their own hands. I'm curious though, too, when you said that anxiety can, it can be leading into depression. What are, what are some of the reasons and signs that that happens? I would say the loneliness feels like at least among the kids I'm seeing, that feels like the biggest factor of it. They're just disconnected from, I mean, really one of the things that gives them life the most. And so think that just has been really hard. And even for those that are not disconnected in that way, we've just had this series of losses for them. I mean, the proms and the homecomings and the graduations and the, all the events that are really milestones. I mean, when, when you and I think back about our own high school lives, those are the things that we really, I don't remember sitting in school. I right, mean, kind of, right, but right. <laughs> I mostly remember getting to go do fun things with my friends and go into football games and so many things like that. And schools are working really hard, I think, to provide as much normalcy as they can, but we're just limited. And so there's just this series of losses that kids are having. But in terms of signs and, you know, Monica, I feel like we're tracking together on all this, but what's so confusing with adolescents is that not only are they often holed up in their rooms anyway on a good day, yeah. you know, so we don't, with little ones, we can see what's happening in their affect and what's going on with them. We, we hear their anger, but teenagers are just going to their rooms. And for adolescents, you know, I, since I have been in this career, which has now been almost 30 years, I have joked about that, you know, I, I don't know if you diagnose folks in your office, but we don't at Daystar. But if we did, it, I, were to, I would use a book called the DSM. And if I were to read right now what depression looks like or even bipolar depression, 
I mean, so many parents of adolescents would think, yep, that's my daughter or that's my son, you know, sleeping more or sleeping less and the sullenness and the moodiness and eating. I mean, just so many things that mark that normally. And so it's really hard to tell. And and non-pandemic, what I typically say to parents is that's what's going to look like at home. When to be concerned is when they get with their friends and you still see that kind of behavior or that kind of emotion. But now they're not with their friends as much. And so it's that much more confusing. And so I think I would say when it feels like there's a hopelessness or it feels like the only activities that they can participate in, it feels like they're withdrawing for the, from those. Those are the times I would get concerned. Or, you know, you're going to have irritability with adolescents anyway, but if you have a whole lot more, sometimes depression for teens shows up as anger. And so we just want to have a good pulse and, and they are going to be in their rooms more. And I'm trying to get parents to say, you know, give yourself a whole lot more grace in terms of screens right now, because they're going to be on it on those more too. But you also want them to re-engage. They need that time with other people and you need to see their face. You need to see how they're doing in the midst of any day. Yes. It's all such helpful information. And I, you know, as mental health professionals, I feel like we're, we're sort of unfortunately living through a mental health experiment, you know, that where we're all trying to catch up as fast as we can to figure out, okay, how do we help everyone, you know, that whether it's teens, adolescents, kids, adults, the losses are just so, there's so many layers, but this is such helpful, graspable material. And tell us if you're a, an anxious parent, you know, cause there, I'm sure there are anxious parents listening and I've been, I'm very upfront with my history with anxiety on this podcast. Um, and there might be anxious, you know, teens listening and, you know, parents that of those kids and teens, what would you say to give them hope? What would, what would be, you know, from your own perspective and specialty? Well, you know, it's funny because when I wrote the other, the Braver, Stronger, Smarter and Raising Worry-Free Girls, I have a section called Hope at the End. And and one of the things I talked about was how I felt like that kids today, no, kids a year and a half ago had never Uh really collectively experienced anything hard. And that in light of social media and in light of just the way that our world was going, I felt like we were doing a real disservice to kids. Like when you think about, you know, 2019 and the degree of the hashtag we were using about best day ever and, you know, living my best life and all that stuff. T-shirts that said that I have not seen either of those phrases now in a year and a half, unless they're sarcastic. Uh And so I think what I was seeing in my office was these kids who were not having their best day ever, who were struggling with anxiety or depression or just life in a given day that we know has ups and downs that I think because their brains aren't fully developed, well, again, who am I kidding? I think we were doing it as adults too, like thinking something's wrong with me, that my life doesn't look like this. So I feel like we were making the problem worse and we were making any kind of faith that people could have that can bring hope kind of irrelevant because we were making it look like your life should be perfect if you have that. Right. Wow. And so then the pandemic hit and what I'm seeing happen, you know, I talked about how it impacted kids negatively. I'm also seeing really cool things happen. Like kids who were overscheduled 
because of their own pressure who are saying things like, I can't do all this anymore. This isn't helpful for me. Or kids who are saying, I never knew I like to be alone. I mean, they're discovering things about themselves in the process. And it goes, I mean, that whole idea that suffering creates perseverance, perseverance, character and character hope. You know, we are living in this collective suffering and we have been for quite some time that I am watching in my office in quiet times where kids aren't necessarily saying it in other places, but I'm watching the fruit of the character that's emanating and the hope that I think is coming. I I really do believe, again, 2019, I was more concerned than I had been in 27 years of counseling kids about the lack of resilience. I really believe kids that are growing up right now are going to be more resilient than we've seen in a generation. So I think they're going to get there. And, and let me say to anxious parents too, I think part of the problem was us as grownups who love them because I think we were rescuing them so much that it was crippling them in a lot of ways. They didn't believe they were capable of doing hard things. And now we can't rescue them from this and they're doing hard things. And so I think they're learning these really great lessons in the midst of it. Oh, that's right. That's so powerful. And it, it, I mean, I feel my heart filling up with hope just hearing that. And it touches on one of the things that I love that you say in this book and in your other books, which is, you know, to work through anxiety, we have to do the scary things. And not only that, we have to practice them. And this pandemic is, um, I use this phrase in, in therapy and maybe it's annoying, but it's its an awful opportunity, right? It's an awful opportunity for us to practice the hard and scary things, um, for us to not rescue our kids because we literally can't. We're all, you know, in this boat together. And so I'm wondering if you can, if you can tell us a little bit about how important that is about that, you know, we can't just think our way out of anxiety, right? We have to practice, we have to um, do the scary thing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I did a lot of research and getting ready for all these books. And one of the things that I read talked about how the two most common strategies with anxiety, and I believe these are parenting strategies and our own strategies are escape and avoidance. So I'm going to pull myself out of that. I don't want to do that. And and with kids, kids become really manipulative often when they're anxious, not on purpose, but it's like, I can't do that. So you got to help me get away from that. And so they start to figure out how to kind of work their parents. So I don't want parents to totally feel the blame for that because I think kids figure it out. But like you said, the reality is we've got to do the scary thing. And and in the books, I came up with the definition that's kind of layman's, but like anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of ourselves. That's kind of the brain state we get in when we're anxious. Mm-hmm. Sissy, I quote you and I credit you with that statement. Probably, I don't know, I don't know how often, but I, I just have as a therapist, as a person who grew up really anxious, and that's why I went into this field. I love that definition: an overestimation of the problem and underestimation of ourselves. And I use that with my clients too all the time. I love it. The thing is, if as a parent, I pull my child out of the situation or I get out of it myself, I'm just confirming that definition. Like, yeah, it's too big. I'm too small. I can't do it. Whereas if I, you know, which you and I know this too, but I mean, I think if you're listening as a parent and you have a child who's anxious or you're afraid of doing something to even create your own sense of I'm going to wade in gradually and I'm going to reward myself along the way 
or that's what I'm going to do with my kids. That's how we get there. We don't just jump in the deep end. But to have experience doing scary and brave things is more empowering to kids who are anxious than anything we can do. Plus, from a neurochemical standpoint, it retrains the brain. So we've got to be doing it. And I think that's such an important point to, you know, to land on too. I'm glad you brought that up that when we practice brave things, we're actually rewiring our neurons, right? In our brain, we're making new, like new paths that then we can return to. We're changing our brain chemistry. Exactly. Which is such great news. It's the best news. I mean, and I think, <laughs> I think that that's the really cool part about, about um, hope is that there, there really is change possible and that anxiety is the most treatable or one of the most treatable mental health issues. Is that right? It is exactly right. Yes. And to think about it from a, it changes, like you said, I mean, it changes our behavior. It changes our brains. And I think it changes our hearts to work through these things and makes us more confident human beings, which is everybody especially if you have a child, that's what you want for your kids. That is what you want. Yeah, that is so what you want. And an escape and avoidance might be a knee-jerk reaction to keep them safe, but we, you know, we really need to empower them and and really to to model that for ourselves, I think is one of the best ways, which you touch on that in, in your adult book too, for, for parents, you know, that embodying that work ourselves is one of the best ways to help model it for our kids. Yes, exactly. And if you're anxious as a parent, your kids are seven times more likely to be anxious themselves. And so it really is so important. And I I have parents who are so fun that practice it together. Like, let's do brave things together and talk to each other about that voice. Like, worry's been talking to me. Have they been talking to you? You know, to grow together as a family is a gift too that strengthens not only you as individuals, but you as a family. Yes. So powerful and such a gift. I wanted to read a little bit from your new book and I wanted to read um, some of the the gifts of temperament that you talk about in this book, that if you tend to be wired towards anxiety, you might have certain giftings. And I wanted to talk about those because I think that so often we see anxiety as a negative, but really so, so many people that tend towards it have such a beautiful gifting. And so I'm wondering if we can talk about these. I'll just read read them really briefly. You're probably very bright. You're conscientious. You care deeply. Things matter to you and you try hard. What I mean, what a beautiful list of attributes that tend to go with people that have anxiety. I'm wondering if we can unpack those. We don't have to unpack each one, um, but just unpack sort of that idea that you talk about in the book of, gosh, look at these beautiful ways that God made you. And it's just important to be aware of the flip side with that those when they're out of balance, you can also have more anxiety. When I was a kid, we still had real records and not the cool, you know, big albums, full size albums. But back then they used to put out what was called a single. So the thing that was released on the radio was a little record you would buy. And then the flip side of it was some song that the artist wasn't sure would make it out to the world. So they put it on the flip side. So it came with the really cool thing. And I think that feels like the best example I can think of as to what is true about anxiety, because I don't know the real statistics either, but what I can say is what I sit with in terms of kids and grownups in my office and every person I've ever met who is anxious is every one of those things. They're bright and they're conscientious and they try hard and they care so much. I mean, it's this beautiful thing about who they are and it's like they just can't turn the volume down. So 
they care so much, but they care all the time or they care about everything and they don't know how to rein it in. And so learning to, like you said, to use the word balance, to learning to live in that balance, I think we get to live in the blessing of it and not so much where it can trip us up. I don't even think I would say the word curse. It just trips us up sometimes. Yeah, it, I think tripping us up is perfect. And and I think then the more that we can understand that gifting and the more that we can understand where it can trip us up, up the more the more freedom we can have to really engage in those gifts. And I and I hope parents listening if if they're anxiously wired or their kids are anxiously wired can hear these beautiful descriptions that you put as an invitation to see, wow, look how wonderfully you're made and let's help you figure out how to live into that in a way that that doesn't hurt so much or that isn't so hard. Yes. I love that. Final question as we wrap up today is, is a question I asked you last time and is a question I ask always at the end of every episode, which is what is, um, one person or an event or, you know, it doesn't have to be just one, but you have um, such a, such a powerful and loving and helpful presence in the world. And what is something that helped you become the sissy that we get to talk to today? I think right now it is the one I mentioned that can create more anxiety, but I have a two-year-old nephew who, so my, I don't remember if I talked about this before, but my parents had me and then didn't have another child for 16 years. And so I have this little sister who's 16 years younger than I am. My mom used to talk about how when she came along, I said, I didn't know y'all still did that anymore, <laughs> which you know, I don't know what that means. But anyway, so, um, so she has been, I mean, she just is one of the biggest delights of my life, hands down. And, and we live about four blocks from each other. And so we have a blast together. And um, in the last year and a half, probably right before we talked last time, I would guess, I think we lost our mom. And so anyway, mom lived with them, but a year before we lost mom, Kathleen and her husband had a little baby named Henry. And so we just have hunkered down through losing, I mean, we lost mom and then the pandemic hit. And so we just have had so much time together that I have gotten to be such a part of his life in a way that I think so many aunts and uncles don't get to mm-hmm, normally. Mm-hmm. And I just, I almost see him every day and he calls me Diddy, oh, which is my favorite. And that. we just have a blast together. And you know, everything we know about young, young children is even if we're talking about brain chemistry, you know, we have these oxytocin releases in terms of chemicals in our brain. I feel it when I'm with them, And just to spend time with a child, I think in the midst of a hard pandemic year and grief year for us. It just, he just brings this sense of wonder and that it all kind of falls away in this really wonderful way. So I would say he is helping make me more me in the last two years than anything. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And it just, it, um, it's so, it's so happy. You can hear the happiness. It's contagious when you talk about him. Oh, he's a cutie. Well, Sissy, it's just always um, a, just such a delight to talk to you um, just as a as a mom, as a human and as a therapist. I just I just thoroughly enjoy it every single time. So thank you so much. Well, me too, Monica. It's always so fun to be with you. I'm so grateful for what you're doing. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sissy as much as I did. 
I hope that you walk away understanding a little bit more about the accessibility of helping yourself or helping the children or the teens in your life with anxiety. It is very treatable. And if you don't have anxiety, but maybe you struggle with worry or fear, I hope you feel empowered that the more you understand this, the less you'll blame yourself, the less you'll feel like you're the only one, and the better you'll feel. For more about Sissy and where to find her brand new book, Brave, which is a guide for teen girls and overcoming anxiety, we'll have everything linked for you in the show notes. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit monicadecristina.com where you can sign up for my regular newsletter or follow along on Instagram. You can find me at Monica DeCristina. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Still Becoming wherever you listen to podcasts if you like what you heard here today. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at SoundOn Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com.